0: He scores! Gilmore scores! The play three left. Off the glass, to left corner to Aguila. Aguila left
1: circle. Passing to Yale, a shot, saved, made by Alaguila, Three, bounds, another shot, a door! The Flames win it! Yeah!
2: Now on Sportsnet 960, the Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson.
3: All right, let's get this thing going on a Friday. Happy Friday! It is January 26th of 2024. With Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. my name is Pat Steinberg. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. Uh, hello, Wes. Hey, buddy. How are we today? It's great. You know, this is the uh, final Flames Talk Friday and the yeah. final Flames Talk day for a week. We'll take a one-week All-Star break hiatus and is there a rest up? Is there a a rarely spotted
2: Pat Steinberg vacation in the office? Yeah, we got 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 a week off.
3: Woo! Gonna need it after that game. How'd you get that? How'd
2: you get that written into your contract?
3: Oh, I just, I just. It's an unpaid vacation. I'm just quitting for a week. (laughs) They don't pay vacation around here. Are you kidding? Just quitting for a week. Uh, Why didn't I think of that? You should. You should definitely do that. So you don't have to watch the all-star game.
2: Maybe, yeah, maybe it's not the have, best, is maybe it? Maybe you should
3: have quit on Thursday night so you didn't have to watch the you final know, 40 minutes of that hockey game. You though.
2: know what troubles me about the All-Star game, if we can just touch on this really briefly? Is that it exists. You know, I, I I thought one of the funniest things in recent All-Star game lore was how buckled the guys got during the draft when they did it a few years uh, yeah. ago. And I imagine they're going to clamp down on that. So not even that part will yeah. be that interesting.
3: But you should definitely watch it anyway. I I think you
2: should watch it. Yeah, check it out on Sportsnet.
3: We're uh, available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on a Friday. And let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics, and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op Wine Spirits beer today. And... How do you begin to explain how dreadfully this homestand has gone for the Calgary Flames? Because remember, they came home after that uh, little jaunt on the road where they beat up on Arizona, then they played really well in Vegas and they started their homestand with a fourth straight win. They started their homestand by beating Arizona, stealing one from Arizona, where they were down 2 nothing with, what, 12 minutes to go or 14 minutes to go or whatever it was in the third period. They come back, and they win the game right. on Yegor Sharangovich's uh, overtime goal. So they stole one from Arizona, and then they've lost four straight since. And the latest one was as difficult to watch as the Blues game it's now four straight losses, yeah. a downhill homestand, and the best they can do now is two wins on this six-game homestand. And they came home talking about, and we talked about them coming home with an opportunity to make this homestand a chance to to move. Like, this is, this is their opportunity to make a move in the Western Conference playoff race, a homestand that sets up well three games a week you have a game at least a day between each game. You have that nice little buffer after the Saturday game until you play again on Tuesday. Like, this was the perfect homestand. There was practice time. There was rest time. There was rhythm time. This homestand was perfect to make a move. And instead, oh, they, they've made a move yeah the wrong way yeah instead five of six games in this is what you're hearing after the most recent game from the head coach
1: we've taken a step back for sure um you know the game against toronto there was a lot of good things in there really the two games that we're not overly pleased with are the last two um and those ones are tougher to swallow when you're in a fight right now and and those are points that when you're at home you you want to make sure you're doing everything you can to get those points um, and i don't feel like we had the necessary energy that we had to play with tonight for a consistent basis
2: and are there areas specifically that you've seen this step back in
1: um i i i feel like a Whether it's our game is loose or whether we're not playing with that same get up and go, I don't feel like we have the same pressure on on teams right now. I feel like we're a second late, and we're standing and and watching a little bit. So that's either a sign of a tired team or a team that um, just isn't as sharp as it needs to be.
3: So that was head coach Ryan Huska after a 5-2 loss to Columbus. Flames got swept by the Blue Jackets on aggregate 8-2 this season. Ugh. The All-Star break is almost here. They've got one game left until the All-Star break. Regardless of what happens on Saturday, the best this team can be is 500. They have 34 games to go as we speak right now. After Saturday's game, when they hit the All-Star break, they'll have 33 games remaining. They are a 500 team at best. They're currently a below 500 team. And as we're talking right now, Wes, we are exactly five weeks from the NHL trade deadline. I don't know if that's enough time for the Flames to erase the last 130 games of this core. Nor, it, nor it should be, it be. I, I agree. Yeah. It, it feels like Craig Conroy's body of work is screaming. Craig Conroy's, I guess, report card and the body of work is screaming loudly at him in terms of what he needs to do here between now and March
2: 8th. Yeah, and, you know, let's start maybe small picture with what Ryan Huska said, and it struck me as we were listening last night to those comments from the coach, like, in this string of four consecutive losses, everyone's gotten a little uglier, right? You heard him mention that he didn't mind some elements of the Toronto game. He thought there were lots of positives that night. You know, there, after a, a dreadful start, it yeah. got better against Edmonton and then St. Louis is a notch down from that. And and what we witnessed, you know, what we watched through our fingers over the eyes last night was, was pretty tough to, you know, it was pretty tough to say anything positive about what we saw from any of the Calgary flames, not wearing number 58 last night. And so now to transition back to the bigger picture. Yeah, of, of course, Craig Conroy and and his staff must be watching and thinking well this this kind of makes our decisions pretty easy you know I was joking with my colleague Danny Austin this morning we keep you know we keep referencing this break like there's going to be these hours long excuse me like these hours long meetings in the hockey ops department it feels to me like more of a yeah, well, I guess we're going down the path that we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, nothing, nothing's changing here. And so I don't think that's a bad thing for the, the long-term look at the Calgary Flames. In fact, you know, I, I think it would be short-sighted to not go down that path of making sure that you can maximize the value of those pending free agents. But, you know, for all the talk about how this group wanted to prove that they're going to be in that wild card hunt and prove that they're they're going to hang around in this playoff race. Man, it sure hasn't looked like it for the past four games. Well,
3: and, and this is something that uh, Blake Coleman has talked about. It's something that Michael Backlund has talked about. It's something that has been too much of a theme for like literally the last 10 years, but has been too much of a theme this season, and that is they get close or... They put together a nice run of playing uh, good hockey, and then it's not just that it hits a hiccup. It takes a massive step back to kind of erase all the good work that is done, and I almost think those things are inevitable when you put yourself in the holes the Flames have put themselves in. So they put themselves in that 2-7-1 and one hole, then they had a good month of November, worked their way out of it, kind of got themselves close to even. Then had a pretty lackluster month of December again. That set them back. They were, I think, down to three games below 500 or so. Worked their way back. They actually worked their way back to up to three games above 500. But every time you do that, it takes a toll. Mm-hmm. It, it takes. It's not just the physical toll that it takes on you. It, it takes kind of like a, a, an emotional equity and 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 I think there's a a risk of like you burn out your mental reserves when. You are chasing, and the urgency levels are always so high. Like, it is tough. It's, it's why we've seen it so many times. I cannot count the amount of times I've seen the Flames have poor starts, work their way back in, fall back, work their way back in, and eventually fall back for good. It's happened like five, six, seven times since since we've been or or, or I've been covering the team, and you basically you and I have been covering this team full-time for the exact amount of time, like the last 15 years. It's it's probably six seven eight times something like this has happened, and and that is, that's what goes along with being a team that is middle of the road. When when, and I think that's to me kind of like the one of the symptoms. Are you a middle of the road team? Then usually you have these wild swings. Ask Nashville. Ask Minnesota. Ask some of the other teams. Right. Ask St. Louis. I bet you they're having the exact same conversations in their markets that we're having about the flames in a bubble in terms of the season they're having. Sometimes they look great and they have a nice run. Sometimes they put together stretches where they lose to Columbus like they lost on Thursday night. And the difference is, is that in this market, there's also a massive question to be answered or massive questions to be answered about what the direction is going to be here for the group. So, yeah, I think that the evidence is screaming that hey, there's a middle of the road team. And the difference maybe here is opposed to a Minnesota or or a St. Louis this year is that the Flames have an opportunity to maybe make necessary changes so that they're not mid in two or three years. And that's why I'm so curious as to what the next 5 weeks bring this team and what the decisions made are. By the decision makers in the next five weeks.
2: Yeah, and I really do believe we're going to be waiting pretty close to the end of that five week stretch, at, at least in a couple of these cases, to find out the answer. I just think, and you know, we joked about this on on the program earlier this week. There's no press conference coming. There's there's no press release coming from the Flames saying we've decided to retool. We've decided to trade these guys, and so there's I suppose patience required in the sense of you have to trust that Craig Conroy and his cohorts at the saddle know what direction this needs to go. You're, you're not going to hear that Chris Tan have, for example, is traded probably until March at the earliest and maybe right up until the buzzer on March 8th. But I just think it's become so obvious what Craig Conroy yeah. and, and his staff need to do. And, and, I don't want this to sound like an overreaction based on just a four-game losing skid, but you you put it so well, the, these are sort of symptoms. These these ups and downs, these peaks and valleys are symptoms of a, a middle-of-the-road team. For the last four nights, the, the Flames, especially the last two, the Flames haven't even looked like a middle-of-the-road team. Yep. And so if you want the positive as a Flames fan, there's an opportunity to impact some change coming up. And you like what you've seen from young guys like Connor's area and Martin Pospisil. But if you kind of do a, a long range view, there's a bunch of spots that are going to need to be filled. You know, there, there's a bunch of things on the, what do we need checklist? And this is a first opportunity for Craig Conroy to do some of that shopping while understanding that you're going to be taking several key guys out of your lineup.
3: Yep. And, I don't think there's anything wrong with waiting until much closer to the trade deadline to get these things done Uh, because in the end, the thing that matters the most is making the best possible decision for your team long term. So if you can get Package A, and Package A is good for Elias Lindholm on January 26th, or you have to wait until March 5th, and Package B is significantly better than Package A, well then you wait to March 5th, and that might be uncomfortable for Elias Lindholm because he probably wants to know what his future is, but the Flames as an organization need to do what is best for the team long term, yep. and and I, I honestly believe that the decision has been mostly made up with a door open to see if they, they can have their minds changed since November. Like, honestly, when, when the flames geared back and when Craig Conroy basically said, I can't sign anybody right now in early November, kind of was, it was right around the heritage classic when Craig Conroy basically, I don't want to say threw his hands up, but said, we, we just need to Push sit pause, back and evaluate, sure. yeah, let's pause this thing. Yeah. Let's see where this goes. I think the mind's been made up as to where they need to go since then. But you open the door and say, okay, can you change our mind? Can you change our mind that maybe this is the group we should go forward with? And while there have been spurts of better play, if I put myself in Craig's shoes and his suit watching the games and evaluating my team and trying to figure out what is best for my team long term... Yeah, they've they've made like convincing arguments on one side, but then they've also made really good convincing arguments on the con side. And when you're like it's it's like a video review, you need definitive evidence for you to overturn your decision. And I just don't think they've come anywhere close to giving management a definitive slate of evidence that says, "No, no, this is it. This core can win a cup. This core can be a perennial playoff team this core can compete with vegas and edmonton and hell even vancouver going forward in the pacific division i just don't think they have and so that's your mandate is to build a team that can and so if the evidence suggests that this group can't then yeah you gotta start making those changes
2: yeah i think all the way back to the golf tournament, and it might have even been raised, I'm sure it was raised several times before this, but I I think back to the the Flames charity golf tournament in September, and one of the questions Craig Conroy was asked that day during his media availability was, okay, well, what if you're in a playoff spot and those guys are unsigned at the trade deadline? And his response was, well, those are going to be some of the toughest decisions that I have to make in this seat. And I think what we know today is that they're not gonna be sitting in a playoff spot at the trade deadline. This this isn't a team that, at least from my vantage point, is going to rattle off 15 in a row like the rivals up the road. And so again, that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I always I always thought that the the conversation more as it pertained to what to do with all these soon to be UFAs had more to do with what are we looking for in return than do we have to entertain trades for them? And so what are we looking for in terms of the age range of players? Yeah. Or are we looking for draft picks? What are we looking for in terms of salary? Are are we willing to eat some salary or do we want to use all of our salary cap on players to help us immediately? And, and those are the discussions I think are still ongoing you know okay let's use Chris Tanev as an example we're gonna move him out and so in one of these deals not even the Tanev deal but do we need a defenseman and if so what age range of a defenseman are we looking for a left shot or a right shot do we just want picks like though I think the conversation for the most part at the Saddle Dome has probably centered on that part of it more than the hey guys should we trade Chris Tanev yeah and maybe, well, maybe Tanov's the perfect example because that's a guy, that's a guy that you never want to not have on your
3: team. Yeah, like there would be if they kept him. It's not like there's a downside to keeping him. The only downside is you don't make the change and don't get the return for but an that incredibly value. That is a big downside. It is a big downside. Yeah, and I think but that's I guess what, what I we're mean both is saying. Like him staying here would be good for the team. Like, it'd be good for other young defensemen. It'd be good for the room. That guy's a culture guy. Yeah. That's that's why Chris Tanev is coveted by Vancouver and Toronto and teams that feel like we need another culture, foundational culture guy who's also a damn good player to, to help us get to another level. If you trade Chris Tanev, you'll beg him to come back in the summer.
2: I don't necessarily think that is happening, but... If you're trading away Kristanov, you're immediately looking for another Kristanov. But for the reasons you just spelled out, there's about 10 contending teams that should also be looking for a Kristanov, and you're the only team who's got one to sell. Yeah. That is an opportunity that you need to capitalize on.
3: And that's what I've been saying, and and it's why, it's why my, and I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong, because there's still 34 games to go this season in five weeks to the deadline. So I'm not trying to take a victory lap or anything here. I want this team to do is uh, do well. It's look selfishly, you know. You know what's better when the Flames do well? The show with the name of the team on it. Like, pretty sure that Flamestock gets more downloads and more ears on it when the team's doing well than when they're really hard to watch. We want the team to do well too, but I'd also like to selfishly, I'd also like to see them compete for a Stanley Cup one day. I think that'd be really neat to, or or to see this team every year going into it being like. Okay, you know, is this the year they get past round two? I, I like to be where the Oilers are right now, where where and, and as bad as their start was, for the last three years they've gone into the season saying, "Is this the year that that you know this Oilers team goes deep? Do they have the right blue line so that Connor and Leon can get even further? Like that would be a really neat spot to be in, and I just think that." what this team has shown management ownership, everybody is that that's not where it's trending with this group. Yeah. And so that's why throughout all of this, going back to when things were better in November and better to start this month, when people were like, well, Pat, have you changed your mind on trading player X, Y, and Z? I've said no, because I still think, and, and throughout I've thought that the opportunity that presents Craig Conroy to change this team's direction and to capitalize on an opportunity that not very many first-year general managers get to put a resounding stamp on their team immediately like this, it, it, it would almost be, I think, silly not to take advantage of it. And, yeah. and that even means it's why, as much as I don't hate the idea of them re-signing Noah Hannafin, and they very well still might, but if you were to ask me... I still lean towards trading Noah because I think he is a valued, valuable prospect, uh, sorry, valuable asset that you can get a lot for and can really help affect the change that clearly needs to be affected here.
2: It uh, it strikes me, buddy, as I nod along in agreement as as you talk that, you know, we, we started this segment playing a clip from Ryan Huska talking about how the team in the past handful or, or four losses has taken a step back. And it sort of strikes me as I sit here and think about it, that if they don't take advantage now looking off the ice at the opportunity to move these assets, there's a step back there too. If, if they don't take advantage of an opportunity to like, these are the most valuable trade chips that the Calgary flames have had since 2013. Yeah. If you don't,
3: and honestly, I can't ever remember having them having this many chips, right?
2: Right. And, and especially the way, this wouldn't necessarily be the case with Chris Tano, but the way the NHL is going, every guy who's not into his mid-30s wants an eight-year deal. And so the flip side of, of impacting that change right now is committing to this current core until you and I are damn near in our 50s. Oh god, that's scary to yeah, think about. I don't about. want to think about that. But it's true, right? Like if you're if you're not going to cash in these chips, the other option is to commit to this core for years and years to come. And I just don't know how the way this team spun its wheels last night, the way this team has spun its wheels this season, the way this team spun its wheels last season, I don't know how you can commit to that.
3: Yeah. Um, let's read some texts at nine sixty nine. I imagine we got a few coming in. Yeah, there's a few that have come in. Uh, this reads, this organization only has 20 picks in the next three drafts. That's not acceptable for a team in their competitive position. The team needs to and can only build through the draft. And that's why like they're losing a first round pick here in one of the next two drafts. That's why they need to recoup first round picks. Yeah. That's why moving out these players is so important.
2: God, that one really hurts, doesn't it?
3: It does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it does. Um, this says, uh, guys, this team is just mid. They'll win some, lose some, look impressive, look unimpressive, and then ultimately hover around 500 and get a mid pick. This roster is not and never was playoff caliber. Just the classic middling flames that we've seen for decades now. That's from Mike. This reads from Dylan. Uh that was the best thing that uh, happened for Team Tank against Columbus. That said, nobody, no matter how bad you want to tank, likes to see what happened against the Blue Jackets. Some of the positives people have been talking about on the season aren't positives. Coleman leading the team in points is a problem. Having so many players on pace for average seasons and none for elite seasons is a problem. The fact that Goldie is a Vesta contender and is only 500 is a problem. This team is not it. That comes from Mike at 960-960. This says from Chris, as a longtime fan, the closer they get to the deadline, the more nervous I get. The last time they made a big splash, they lost Lombardi, ruined his career, and brought in Jokinen, who was bad. This has never worked out for this team. Um, I guess we'll see. I don't think they're going to be making a uh, deal that brings in um, Jokinen for Lombardi. I, I don't think that's the... And if you remember that team was a playoff team when they did that. Like that was that was the first, the the Jokinen deal was made during Camillary's first year if I remember correctly. So Camillary had his 39 goal, 82 point season or whatever it was and then they also acquired Jokinen that year. That would have been 08-09, So it would have been deadline 09. They brought in Jokinen and then they lost to Chicago um, thanks in large part to some really poor cap management from uh, Daryl Sutter's group that down the stretch that year, and they ended up losing to the point that they had to play Chicago in round one, and then Chicago beat them in six. So I don't think that's the type of deal that we're going to be talking about at the deadline.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I, I love the trip down memory lane with names like Ola Jokinen and Matthew Lombardi, but I, I don't think we're, uh, we're talking about a, a similar swing from Craig Conroy this season.
3: Um, this reads. I'm a long-time Flames fan since 1981, already nearing 50, buddy. Thanks for rubbing it in. Now were you born in 1981? Like were you born a Flames fan or did you Cuz if you're approaching 50, that would mean you were born in 74. If my math is correct. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're huh? approaching 50, I get that. Um This says team tank is just as delusional as people that want to keep the current core. In my opinion, no one is taking their existing contracts and doing really poorly. One or two years does nothing to ensure you're getting elite talent retool. Yes, but tanking is delusional. I I guess the one thing I would say to that text before we hit a couple of rapid fire things in a second, the, the one thing that I would say to that is I do understand the reasoning that says if, if they're going to make these moves, and if they're going to be trading out player X, Y, and Z, and bringing back young players, also getting an okay draft pick this year would be a, a nice way to help kickstart this thing going in the right direction, too. I get sure. that. Not a purposely tank. So it can get number one overall. That that's not realistic and just isn't gonna happen. And they're yeah, never gonna be that bad. And thank you for
2: saying that. There's not a total tank coming. And and I, I know that rebuild has become this sort of broad term that covers everything from we're gonna go twenty and sixty two to you know, whatever the the upper end quote unquote of rebuilding looks like. But there's there's just not a total tank coming from this organization. Yeah. This team as currently constructed is a dozen trades from a total tank, and you're not going to see it.
3: Last night was rough. That was a
2: bad game.
3: Yeah, that last 40, they were second best for two-thirds of that hockey game. That second and third period, they generated five shot attempts at five-on-five in the third period. (laughs) One shot at five-on-five. You mix that in with A.J. Greer's injury and Jonathan Huberto's five-minute major. And
2: it's not like the Blue Jackets were going great guns.
3: No, I I didn't come away. Like, I will say that number 13 still looks like number 13 despite no points, but he had himself a good game. But otherwise, you're like, okay, that Chinikov guy looks pretty decent. Their goalie was okay, I guess. Wasn't great. Didn't
2: have to be. Didn't
3: really have to be. They barely tested him. Anyway, that's your look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in-store today. We will touch on Oliver Shillington's return to the lineup coming up on the round table because that was a resounding positive from the game on Thursday, regardless of the result. The A.J. Greer injury was gross. That was hard to watch. I I wish I wouldn't have seen it, but I did. I was like, oh, what happened? And then I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't see that. Yeah. But yeah, he's gonna be out a little bit here. Um a little bit? Yeah, it's gonna be a while. Yeah. Uh, how about a bit? He's gonna be out a bit. Oh God, that was just it. Ugh. I don't. Ugh. So what does the fourth line look like versus Chicago? Is it is it doer back in? doer has got to come back in. I yeah, would imagine. I
2: think so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense with one game before the break to bring a guy up
3: from California.
2: Yeah. If you have 12 healthy forwards, but you never know if there's a, if there's a guy that they would like to audition, you know, send a message that you're the next guy on our radar, Then I suppose you could justify the airfare from San Jose. But I, I think we're probably looking at Walker Doer and, and the two young guys that have been playing on the, the fourth line.
3: Other good I- news is that, Maybe after the All-Star break, that fourth line looks very different. Yeah. Because both Kevin Rooney and Jacob Pelche in the lineup Friday for the AHL Wranglers against the uh, San Jose Barracuda. Wranglers will kick off a five-game road trip or continue a seven-game consecutive run on the road. They came back. That's why I'm... They came back to Calgary. That's why I'm kind of not calling it a seven-game road trip. But... Rooney and Pelche in. Awesome news. They haven't played since the preseason. They've been on their conditioning, lo- not even on a conditioning loan. They've been they've been with the Wranglers for a few weeks now, but have been working their way back to playing. Don't know if they're going to play the back-to-back. They play Friday and Saturday, so don't know if they're going to play Saturday's game too, but they're definitely playing Friday night, and then maybe they can get two or three other games in before the AHL pauses for their all-star And the Flames, right around the same time, are getting back to their regular season. Wouldn't be a shock if Pelche and Rooney are with the team at some point after the All-Star break.
2: You know, the way I I see it unfolding is there's going to be a pretty good sort of audition happening with the Wranglers during the Flames buy. Because they're going to send, I'm sure, Adam Klapka back. They'll send Cole Schwint back. They'll... Likely because Walker Doers just cleared waivers, sent him back. Like they're gonna be sending a bunch of forwards back to the Wranglers and basically telling them, hey, whoever the top X number are coming back to the big club after the buy. And so there's gonna be some good auditions going on down there. Yep. I let me just throw this in quick because I wrote about Walker Doer today. You can find it on the post media sites. I am really curious to see how he responds. I, I know it can be such a kick in the teeth for a guy to not only go on waivers, but then to go through waivers when 31 other teams basically say, nah, we're not interested. And I had a good chat with Walker. I think he realizes what's been missing in his game. You know, he talked about how yeah. confidence for him doesn't mean toe dragging. It, it means using his size, using his speed and his physicality. I think, I think he's had some time to sort of consider maybe losing the plot a little bit in terms of what makes him a successful NHLer. And now after that, wake-up call, if you want to call it that, of passing through waivers. I'm curious to see if he can make the most of this opportunity.
3: One more game on the homestand, Saturday versus Chicago. It's a uh, good piece with uh, Walker and Wes up wherever you get your post media news as uh, we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet Basement, they have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. Systems Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for a Friday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Save thousands on the 2023 GLB 250, GLC 300 Coupe, C300, or the GLC 300, zero down and a 2% loyalty lease rate reduction. Steinberg with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media and on the Voice of the Flames, Derek Wills joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Friday, uh, gentlemen. We'll start positive because uh, you know positivity good these days around the Flames. So you know if we can if we can bring you some positivity. We'll try. Um, what do we make of Oliver Shillington's performance in his return to action for the first time in almost twenty months on Thursday night? How do we like Oliver and what we saw on the ice against the Blue Jackets?
0: Yeah, I was pretty impressed, and it had to be such a special moment for him and. Uh, just a ovation he got inside of Scotiabank Saddle Dome uh, from Flames fans welcoming him back, and obviously his teammates were excited to have him back, and uh, I'm sure that in uh, some ways fueled him uh, in that game on Thursday night, but uh, he didn't look like a guy who hadn't played in the NHL since May of 2022. Uh, obviously, uh, the minutes were limited, played just over 13 minutes last night, but Uh, I thought skated as well as he ever has. Uh, I thought there might be some indecision in his game. I didn't really see that. Uh, There were opportunities for him to to jump up in the rush and get involved offensively, which uh, obviously he uh, hasn't hesitated to do in the past. And I didn't think he hesitated to do that last night. And if there was rust, it wasn't obvious to me. So I think uh, a really strong performance uh, for Oliver Shillington And even in the third period when the Flames went down to five defensemen, he was playing with some different people and uh, didn't look uncomfortable doing that. And it's not like he was on a pairing with Chris Tanev all night covering for uh, defensive deficiencies. He was playing on a pairing with Jordan Osterley, and I think he was the better of the two guys on that pairing. So uh, I think a really strong return to the lineup for Oliver Shillington. Uh, I'm sure he was probably tired both mentally and physically at the end of the game, but uh, an important first step for him is return to the NHL. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I didn't think he would be as good as he was and and I had high hopes.
2: I, uh, I was excited to be in the building last night. I I thought it was going to be really neat to witness Oliver Shillington's first game back in the NHL in, in essentially 20 months. And it didn't disappoint starting with his, introduction in the starting lineup that was just such a cool moment kudos to ryan huska for for making sure he was in the starting lineup kudos to the sea of red for the way he was welcomed back that was truly a a goosebumps moment and so that that was really cool to start with and i thought i thought oliver shillington performed really well i i thought there certainly were some signs of rust and and if you didn't think you'd see those then you know you were you were going in with sky high or beyond sky high expectations i to wilsey's point, like his skating remains his greatest strength by far and and he certainly looked like a a guy who was moving around the ice as well as ever. you know the, where I saw the rust was I can think of two or three rushes up the ice where the feet were probably moving faster than the hands and, and he ended up sort of bobbling as he, as he tried to weave through a couple defensemen bobbling the puck away that that's going to happen at high speed sometimes at any moment, even if you haven't missed 20 months worth of NHL action, but that's where I saw the rust. And and I hope that doesn't come across as critical because I think Oliver Shillington, at least through my eyeballs, was further ahead last night in his return than I expected him to be. You can just tell that there certainly is some rust to be knocked off.
3: Yeah. The, uh, and, and definitely there were a couple of times you're like, okay, that, that's just going to take some more reps and more, you know, that, that timing will come back only by playing more NHL games and, and it will come back. You know, I thought the most positive part was, you know, Wilsey, as you pointed out, uh, Jordan Osterley saw two shifts in the third period. One of them came in the first 70 seconds. And the other came after the empty netter when it was 5 2. So Jordan Osterley essentially was sat down for the entire third period. And as a result, you know, Oliver Shillington saw five shifts in the first, six shifts in the second, and then seven shifts in the third so they were actually able to build him and and build his minutes as the night went along which i think is a big positive as opposed to the other way around where you know it kind of tails off and he gets more tired and you feel like you have to ease back on his minutes as the night goes along so i i i think that the timing stuff and the the small pieces of evidence of rust are to be expected and are things that are easily uh, or are going to easily be knocked out of the game going forward. Here, he played just over 13 minutes against the Blue Jackets. Maybe that's up to over 15 minutes against Chicago. Then there's that week off, and then maybe on the road trip, it's back up to 16, 17 minutes. Like I, I thought it was as positive a return as you could possibly get for the amount of time that he had off. You know, just talking, uh, Wilsy, talking to, and and hearing. Megan talked about it as much as she has. Just, you know, like the the amount of time she emphasized that you don't lose it, right? Like you don't lose your ability to skate. You don't lose your instincts. You don't lose the things that make you a world-class athlete, even if you've taken X amount of time off. And I think that was fully evident. The things that make Oliver Shillington the hockey player he is, his skating, that was check mark. Nothing was lost from May 2022 to Jan 2024. His instincts they were still very much on display. Those are the two things that that make Oliver the the two main things that make Oliver Shillington the NHL quality player he is. And they were both on display. And the things that you need to have come back only through game action. They're. I, I think we're quite confident they're going to come back through game action. So I'd give that an A-plus return, guys. That was, uh, that was super encouraging.
0: Yeah, and it's unfortunate the Flames uh, couldn't make what was a special night uh, more special by beating the Blue Jackets on Thursday night. But uh, you guys can watch the game a little bit differently than I can. When you're calling a game, you've got to chase the puck around and uh, you can't really uh, turn your attention to other things. So maybe you guys saw some stuff that I didn't see uh, that led you to believe that there was rust there. And I'm sure there was some rust there. And and I saw a couple of things, but they weren't big things. They were little things. And if someone who hadn't gone almost two years between playing in NHL games had done those things, I wouldn't have jumped to the conclusion that uh, they did them because they hadn't played in the league in a while. So I thought it was a really positive return for Oliver Shillington. And uh, the other thing to to keep in mind is that the last time you played an NHL game for the flames, different head coach, different way of playing. Uh, Of course, uh, the flames after switching from Daryl Sutter to, to Ryan Huska went from playing man on man in the defensive zone to zone. And for the guys who were here last year and played in all or most of the games and were here to start this season, that was a big adjustment for those guys. Let alone a guy who the last time the team uh, uh, that he played on uh, was, was where he was playing for the Flames. They were playing a different way in the defensive zone. So that's why I thought there might be a little hesitation in his game last night. But I didn't see any of that. And I give uh, the coaches credit for getting him up to speed and his teammates credit for, I'm sure, helping him do the same. But, yeah, a really positive story with Oliver coming back and uh, hopefully bigger and better things from here.
2: It, here's the best part, guys, is is we're sitting here today for the first time in 20 months and maybe nitpicking little plays or or did we see Russ? We're, yeah. we're talking yeah. about Oliver Shillington assessing his performance in a hockey game. We're talking about Oliver Shillington playing his his first hockey game yeah. since May of 22. And the fact that we're able today to have a conversation, you know, should he have done this differently or does he deserve an A plus or just an A like this conversation alone, I think is just such a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the
0: best part. That's
3: why I said pregame on, on Thursday night, I said, regardless of the result, Thursday's a success because Oliver Shillington's back. But uh, yeah, Willsey, as you said, it would have been nicer if it was more of a success as we roll into that side of things on the daily flames round table, Derek Wells, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg on this Friday. Gents, any guesses, any hypotheses as to why the Flames have taken a noticeable step back on this, uh, on this homestand?
0: That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, they were definitely trending in the right direction for a long time. And I would say in the last two games, more so than, than in the last four, which is what their losing streak is at right now they've definitely taken a step back and they're now trending in the wrong direction, which they just quite frankly, couldn't afford to do. Uh, when you start a season two, seven and one and put yourself behind the eight ball, like they did, you you can't afford any long losing streaks. And they couldn't afford to lose four games in a row. Let's be honest. I'm not saying they're completely out of it, but uh, they're not as in it as they were a week ago uh, when I thought they had a legitimate chance uh, to maybe be in that second wild card spot going into the NHL All-Star break. And obviously that's not going to happen now. So uh, how to explain it? This is going to sound like me making excuses. And, and I did ask uh, about it last night on the post-game show. I think there's some mental and physical fatigue there. And the reason I was wondering about that, even going into last night's game, was that last weekend, and I know that uh, they have to give the guys uh, a certain number of days off every month, so part of it uh, is is those mandatory days off. But when they had last Friday and last Sunday off, that for me raised a red flag. That told me that, yeah, maybe one of those days is a mandatory day off, but I I suspect the other one is the coaching staff uh, seeing that their players are are mentally and physically tired and and needed uh, another day away from the rink. And today was an off day for the team coming off a fourth straight loss last night and probably a scheduled one. I'm not saying that uh, that they thought the guys retired and that's why they gave them today off. But uh, I do think that there is some mental and physical fatigue there. There's uh, been a heaviness around this team and in more ways than one. Uh, I think the fact that they've still got a few pending UFAs and we're all wondering what's going to happen with those guys. I've got to think that's at least back of mind for a number of the players but uh, there have been some good stretches during this four-game losing streak. I thought they played well enough to win versus the Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews scored three goals and added an assist and almost single-handedly beat them. I thought they played well enough to win last Saturday's Battle of Alberta against the Oilers. It's a 1-1 game in the third period, and the game-winning goal is scored from behind the net when a puck bounces off two or three players and in. That's completely bad luck. Now, there's an old saying, you make your own luck. And I think that applies for me more so to what I've watched in the last couple of games, even in Thursday night's game against the Blue Jackets. The first four goals were basically scored into an empty Flames net, even though Jacob Markstrom was on the ice. A bad bounce off the referee on the one nothing goal. Um, Markstrom, I guess you could fault him for the 2-1 goal because you know, he cleared it up the boards and was a little slow getting back into his net. Uh, and then the one off the goalpost, how often do you see the puck bounce right back to the guy who shot it, uh, putting him in a position to put it into a, an empty net? I mean, but again, you make your own breaks. So uh, I would say fatigue's a factor for them right now, but, uh, and, and, and guys, I'm not sure that I, I have any other way to explain it, uh, other than there's been letdowns in games, and maybe that's fatigue related, maybe it's not, but, they haven't played close enough to a full 60 minutes in the last couple of games, that's for sure.
2: I'll, I'll just throw in a, a couple sort of guesses or, or hypotheses. It, one that I, I You're think... You
3: by the way, hypotheses is the correct plural of hypothesis, right? Yes, okay. correct. You are the words Good word, word. Right I, like so I just want to make sure I got that right. Uh, Can you spell it? Yes, yeah, so you just it's hypothesis, but instead of an I as the penultimate letter, it is an E. So it goes from hypothesis to hypotheses. Pretty well, impressive. I learned this today. <laughs> Pretty
0: impressive. Can you spell it? Spell it on the Air Force. I can't spell it.
3: <laughs> but, well, Maybe well, if let, I
0: wrote it down, let, but I can't Wes, spell it on the air. Yeah, let us make let's, his point, and I'll
3: try. Let's put the
2: spelling bee on, on hold for a second while Pat <laughs> Googles it. Yeah,
0: and then spells it.
2: You know, one, one of the problems that I think is starting to catch up with them is that they— were running and especially in that four game win streak but even before that they were running on the offensive contributions of a few guys and you knew at some point Blake Coleman wasn't going to be able to score every night you knew potentially Nazem Kadri would slow down a little bit like they they had so few guys scoring such a large percentage of their goals when they were briefly rolling that i think part of the problem has been you know, the, the hot streak has worn off a little bit with a couple of those guys, and, and the rest of them, with the exception of Mackenzie Weger, haven't necessarily been able to step up to fill that offensive vault, <clears throat> void. I'm sorry. The one thing that worries me, or would worry me if I was Craig Conroy, is I wonder how much of the letdown could potentially be traced to a realization that this team has put itself in such a tough spot that I don't know that they could possibly climb out of it. And when you look at the sort of lapses in games, just the the inability all of a sudden to play 60 minutes, whether it was a bad start in a couple of those losses, whether it was a bad finish or, you know, finally last night, a bad final 40 minutes. Like, I just wonder if the sort of reality of how hard they had to scratch to get just back to 500 and now to fall back below it again. I just wonder if it's starting to set in. I don't know if it's fair to even wonder that, but I, I can't help but think, Geez, I wonder if these guys just know where this is going.
3: Well, and 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 let me just pick up on that because there's kind of two things that have jumped out to me or that, that I've thought about since the, the last couple of losses specifically. And and number one is is kind of based on that, guys. And that is I, I've I've seen this movie a lot of times where and, and with this flames organization, where They've had to dig themselves out of a hole. I think of 2010-11, I think of 2011-12, I think of 2015-16, and a couple of years after that where they got themselves behind the eight ball because they just had a really dreadful start to a season. And and then they're playing catch-up. And you know what? They played catch-up effectively. And then that catch-up takes a toll. Um, not the condiment. That catching up takes a toll. And, and it means that you have to expend a lot of physical but emotional equity too and eventually you get drained as a human and then when enough humans are drained then the team gets drained and then you get your second wind and you, you fall back and you work your, yourself back up and then it happens again and the Flames have gotten themselves behind the 8th ball where they were 5 games below 500 and they worked themselves back close to even Then they fell back to 3-4 games above 500 they worked themselves back and, and above even where they they were three up on it, and now they're back below. And I just think continually chasing takes a toll in a lot of different ways. That's one, and then here's two. And I said this earlier, Wilsey. You know, this is now 130 games since Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk are no longer here. 130 games of this new core. And I think the evidence that has been presented by the, um, by the defense is that this is a, a middling team and middle-of-the-pack teams do what the Flames do, and they are really good at stretches, and you're like, geez, this team is playing well. You know, maybe maybe there's something here. And then they have steps back. And I think the same conversations we're having about the Flames are having being had in a lot of other markets right now, like like St. Louis, like Minnesota, like Nashville, like Seattle. Uh, I, I think a lot of... Other markets would look at their team, and we only follow one team full-time, and I think a lot of other markets would be looking at their team and saying, why can they look so good sometimes and then play like this against a team well below them in the standings? And that, to me, is a symptom of being just a middle-of-the-road roster, a middle-of-the-road team. And when you've got 130 games of that as your evidence and an opportunity to affect some change, I just don't know how you can ignore it much longer here. And I don't think they will, but I just I I think that's what's being screamed at them right now is that, you know what? They're not bad enough to be an awful lottery team. They're just not. But I don't know. Yes, you've seen flashes where you're like, maybe I can be convinced. Maybe this can be it. And then it always inevitably takes a step back. That to me is your indication that this is really what we feared this group to be for a while now. And that is a middle-of-the-road, bubble playoff team at best, and so that that probably is what they're going to be while this roster remains intact for however long it's going to remain intact.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue at this point that they're a middle-of-the-pack team uh, between, let's say, 10 and 20 in the league. I still think they have the talent to be a playoff team. I look at the teams around them, and I think they're more talented than all of them, but it's about more than just talent. And, guys, I do wonder if the, the pending UFAs, that, that black cloud, so to speak, which, uh, you know, Craig Conroy's made uh, one really good trade already and, and maybe makes uh, one or two or three more before March 8th. But uh, I do wonder if in the back of their minds they, they thought, you know, oh, we've worked so hard to, to put ourselves in a decent spot and to be battling for a playoff spot. But what happens if three of these guys get traded? you know, will it be all for naught? So I I do wonder if that's been a factor as well, but uh, it's been a a tough stretch here. And again, I I could live with the losses to the Maple Leafs and the orders for all intents and purposes. Those were both one goal losses to good teams that uh, have generational players way easier for me to swallow than the last two losses because they were in a position, despite those two losses to with three straight wins going into the break Uh, have a 4-2 homestand, maybe be in a playoff spot going into the break, certainly be feeling good about themselves going into the break. But they blow that game against the Blues on Tuesday night and never led in Thursday's game against the Blue Jackets, a team who hadn't won in regulation time in about a month. The Blues' loss was one thing. The Blue Jackets' loss was another thing. Uh, Both tough-to-swallow losses for sure. And it put them in a much different spot than they were even after those losses to the Maple Leafs and the Oilers, where they were still very much in the thick of things. And I'm not saying they can't get back into the thick of things, but two steps in the wrong direction in their last two games. And we'll see if they can bounce back against the Blackhawks on Saturday night. If they don't do that, then uh, I think they're they're really going to be in dire straits if they're not already. But, Pat, tough to argue that uh, they're anything but a middle-of-the-pack team. Again, talent-wise, I still think they're good enough to be a playoff team, but that's uh that's going to be a tough road back and i do think that chasing in games is hard and i think chasing in seasons is, is even harder and, and maybe that's caught
3: up to them at this point well i know this much uh i don't want to talk about them losing to the blackhawks on saturday before the all-star break so let's uh let's see them yeah. not put us through that hey uh we'll see you on saturday morning willsy thank you pal Okay, guys. Have a good night. That's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes invented airbags and automatic braking systems. Makes sense they came up with the unparalleled EQ lineup. 0% lease rate on select 2023 models. See in-store for more details as we start to wrap things up this hour on Flames Talk. Wes Gilbertson on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Uh, Have a good all-star break, pal. We'll... uh, We'll we'll Uh, see you when it's all We should probably chat
2: tomorrow on the pregame show, though.
3: That's a fair point. I forgot about that. (laughs) Uh, There is a game on Saturday. Well, but still. But I appreciate that. Have a good All-Star break after the Chicago game.
2: Enjoy your annual vacation.
3: Once a year. Uh, for Wes Gilbertson, my name is Pat Steinberg. Uh, Cam and Shan our producers this hour. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors.